Our passage for today is 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 20. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. If you're new here, some of you may be wondering, what's this? You know, uh, Kathy just talked about Harbor House and all this other stuff. Shouldn't there be like this running theme of how all this stuff goes together at a church service? And I always look for opportunities to weave these things together and I think last week it worked out really well in terms of what our testimony and then what the message was and things like that but what happens at our church is we systematically go through the Bible chapter by chapter verse by verse and we're here at first Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 20 so in terms of how things kind of weave together I leave that to you I'm just gonna teach the Bible so that's where we're at this morning uh, let me pray for us before we dive into this Father, thank you so much for your word and ask for your blessing. Ask for you, Holy Spirit, to touch each person's life here. As we all struggle with various things, different things, and we need to hear from you and how you so dynamically work in each one of our lives, how these passages are going to speak differently to another person and you're just so intricately involved and intimate with each person that you would know exactly how these words are going to minister to them. So I ask God that as hearts are open and minds are open as to receive your word, that your presence would be here in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we looked at just the verses 11 and 12, and initially this week we were just going to do verses 13 and 14, and I just thought we need to move faster. So we're going through 20, and so uh, 11 and 12 talked about how some Christians and some churches have not viewed themselves as sojourners or exiles in this world. And we took a look at how the church is to be active in the injustices of the world and that we have to approach this world with this mindset of a sojourner or this mindset of an exile who is dependent on God to lead us in our activity against injustice. Because there's so many things around here in Oakland that it's a huge dartboard, but the whole dartboard's a bullseye, right? Like, I mean, you could just close your eyes and throw it, and it's an issue here. And so we have to have the discernment. We have to have that prayerful discernment to move forward. So today, in looking at verses 13 through 20, we're going to notice in the next few weeks God's design of being subject to someone else. A very popular word in our day and culture is submission. I mean, that's a word that makes many in our society and culture, it just makes us cringe, doesn't it? Submission. It's just like, ew. And so I have to admit to you that I have a challenging time talking about this subject 
of submission or to be subject to someone else. That it's not an easy thing for me to talk about or that something that I want to bring up. But the beauty of going chapter by chapter and verse by verse is that I can't skip anything. Right? You can't skip anything. I can't skip Hmm. Chapter 3, verse 1, wives submit to your husbands. Hmm, we'll just skip over that one. But it's partly why I stopped at 20. I'm not ready for that one yet. But if it's in the Bible, we're going to talk about it. So here we go. Here we go. Okay. So to be subject to someone else or to submit to someone else, it just sounds kind of degrading. It sounds kind of demeaning. But that's exactly what Jesus modeled for us. In looking at our verses today, we're going to notice a pattern of how to be subject to others. And there's this pattern that Peter is using in his writing here. And so the first pattern is found in verses 13 through 17. And so the pattern begins with be subject in verse 13. And then Peter gives the reason why we are to be subject in verse 15. And so he begins this reasoning with this phrase, for this is. And so this same pattern is found in verses 18 through 20. And again, it begins with this idea of being subject. And then Peter gives the reason as to why to be subject. So following these two patterns, Peter then gives us this ultimate example of these patterns in Jesus. And that's found in verses 21 through 25, which is Jesus' model of being subject and reasons why he was subject to God, which we will take a look at next week. Now, with these patterns, there are these key verses within each pattern and key reasons as to why we are to be subject. So in that first pattern, verses 13 through 17, that key verse is found in verse 15, and it's this. For this is the will of God. And then in the second pattern, verses 18 through 20, the key verse in there is verse 19, and the reason is this. For this is a gracious thing. And then Peter gives us the key reason as to why Jesus was subject to God. And it's in verse 24 within that context of verses of 21 through 25. And it's this. By his wounds you have been healed. Those are all the key phrases. Those are all the reasons why we are subject. So let's take a look at that first key phrase or key verse in that first pattern, verse 15, because that whole section, verses 13 through 17, verse 15 is what that whole section hinges on. So we'll take a look at verse 15 here. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 15 is the reasoning behind being subject to every human institution in verse 13. So, who are these foolish people mentioned in verse 15? Well, they're similar to the folks who are mentioned in verse 12, right? People who speak against you as evildoers. And in verse 15, we're told that they are ignorant. Ignorant, or in Oakland, ignorant. So, they are those who don't know God, right? Essentially, ignorant of God. They don't know God. And so how are we to respond to people who speak against us as evildoers and who are ignorant of God? And so we're instructed. We're instructed to put them to silence in verse 15. And I love this word in the Greek because the Greek word here gives us a picture of closing someone's mouth with a muzzle. Is that awesome? That's awesome. To muzzle them. To muzzle them. I was getting really excited until I found out that this is a metaphor. 
right? This is a metaphor. I was really excited. I was like, yes. Ugh, Hannibal Lecter, you. Like, you. Anyway, I'm going to speak about my evil heart next week about those things. I got convicted about that. I went ahead and I studied ahead and I, yeah, I, I'm not supposed to do that. So the meaning, the, the meaning behind this metaphor is to make speechless or to silence, reduce to silence. But how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we muzzle the ignorance of foolish people? By doing good. By doing good. Very similar to verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Your good deeds. See, our honorable conduct, our acts of good deeds, our doing good is what shows our faith in Jesus. And there are some people who will never, ever pick up the Bible and read the gospel, but they are reading you. And they are reading how you are living. So we are to conduct ourselves honorably, do good deeds, and do good. That's how people who speak against us, who are ignorant about us, that's how they are silenced. That's how they are moral. That's how they are reduced to silence. So how does this practically play out in life? It's verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So off to this awesome subject of submission or being subject. We're all to be good citizens. Submitting to government. Ooh, tough, right? Especially when they don't agree with you. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. Now keep in mind when Peter and Paul wrote their respective letters. They wrote these letters during the Roman Empire's reign, a government that was extremely hostile towards Christians. But they knew that God placed that human institution there, just as God has placed human institutions today in our places of leadership. And sometimes... Often, we wonder why. How in the world did that guy get into office? How in the world did she get into an office? And, and we wonder about these things, like why? And the reason why is that God sent them there to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, sure, some human institutions are better at this than others, but overall, overall, human institutions don't condone murder, right? They don't condone stealing. They don't condone lying. They're there as a tool to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. But sin is involved. And so those people don't always do those things. But when we live under a human institution that isn't as good as another one, it doesn't give us license to stir up anarchy even when the government goes counter to Christian values. Which also gets me wondering, 
It gets me wondering because I wonder if people who call themselves Christians are going about this in a biblical way in our country today. Do we as Christians do this in a biblical way? We are to support civil government because it is the human institution that God has put there. God has his plans and it is the will of God to have those human institutions there at that specific time. And even the human institutions that don't have Christian values just like the Roman government in Peter and Paul's time. See, because Peter had Nero as the emperor, right? Caesar Nero, the guy who killed his own mom, the guy who killed his stepbrother because he felt threatened that they were going to do some kind of coup against his throne. The guy who persecuted Christians and he captured them and killed them and he put them on stakes in his garden, dipped them in oil and impaled them on stakes and he lit them on fire so that they would light up his garden. That is Caesar Nero. That's who Peter had as his human institution. So if writing against human institutions was the biblical thing to do, don't you think Peter would have written that? Especially against Nero and Rome. Now some of you may be thinking, there are exceptions to this, aren't there? I mean, there are exceptions to this stuff. And absolutely, there are. And here it is. When the human institution breaks a direct command of God that forces a follower of God to decide between a loyalty to God or a loyalty to the human institution, that's where an exception is made. So when the human institution is in direct violation to God's word, then we must choose who we will ultimately be subject to. And so I'm going to give you several biblical examples about this. Okay, the first one, Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 15, going through 20. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua. Please name your children this. It would be awesome. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. These midwives straight up lied. They lied. But the king violated God's word by ordering them to kill the baby boys. And they're like, kill the babies? We can't do that. We can't do that. No way, Jose. Or in Hebrew, no way, Hosea. So they chose allegiance to God over the human institution. Here's a second biblical example. Daniel chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon... Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But 
If you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, these guys were not going to worship false gods, even if it meant they would be thrown into the fire. It violated the word of God. And an ultimatum was issued by the king. Do this or die. I guess we're going in the fire. We're going in the fire. And so for those of you that aren't familiar with this story, they lived. And I'm sorry to ruin the ending of this story for you, but they lived. Again, a decision needed to be made whether to show loyalty to God or loyalty to the human institution, and these guys chose God. Example three, Daniel chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. O king, did you not sign an injunction? That anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing stands fast. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked, then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And so this human institution, King Darius, signed an injunction forbidding people to pray. Well, Daniel couldn't do that. He had to commune with God. He had to connect with God. It was a direct violation of God's word, and there were no alternatives for Daniel. Right? So into the lion's den he went, and he lived too. And so, sorry to ruin all these biblical stories. They're very obscure stories, but I'm sorry. And so... Daniel chose allegiance to God over allegiance to the human institution because it directly violated God's word. Here's a New Testament example. Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. See, in every example, the individuals had to decide between following the human institution or following God's word. When the laws were in direct violation of the Bible, they didn't subject themselves to the human institution. And it wasn't just simply because that the laws were just bad laws. I just don't agree with it. It doesn't line up to my philosophy. It doesn't line up to my sociology or whatever it may be. It's because it violated biblical law. So we are to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, even if it goes against Christian values. Even when it goes against Christian values, but not when it violates God's word. For example, a Christian value that we have is grace. Right? As Christians, we value grace, giving people more than they deserve. So if a human institution isn't gracious, it goes against Christian values, but it's not an excuse for us to be anarchists because of that. Another Christian value is joy. Right? That's joy for us is a Christian value. If the human institution doesn't provide that to you, it doesn't mean that they violated God's word. You think the Roman Empire provided joy to Peter? 
They didn't, but it's not an excuse for anarchy when they violate Christian value. So why must we be subject to every human institution? It goes back to verse 15. For this is the will of God. It's the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now you notice that our freedom is conditional. It's conditional. We are to live as people who are free, but living as servants of God. We are not to use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. So what does this freedom, this living as servants of God, look like? And how many of you like lists? You like lists? You're going to love this. This is a list. Verse 17, it's a list of four. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I'm glad I made you happy. Number one, honor everyone. We honor, we value Everyone. Everyone? Everyone. Everyone. That's hard to do sometimes. It's really hard to do. Because if you come up to me and you mistreat me or you speak ill of me or you disrespect me or you devalue me, it is really hard for me to honor you. That's hard. It's a hard thing. Now, why are we to honor everyone? It's the will of God. And by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We can also look to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We are all created in God's image. So there is no room for the Christian to be elitist or racist or treating people differently through whatever prejudice they have. We honor, we value everyone. That doesn't mean that you affirm everything about them. But it does mean we still honor, we still value them as people created in the image of God. Second, love the brotherhood. We are to love the Christian community. We are to welcome, entertain, be fond of, love dearly our Christian brothers and sisters. We are to be well-pleased, content with the Christian community. Again, this is really hard to do sometimes. But we're instructed to love the brotherhood. I encourage those of you who avoid or ignore others in the brotherhood to change. Because the Bible instructs us to love the brotherhood as servants of God. And how can you love the brotherhood if you are not part of the brotherhood? If you avoid or if you ignore individuals of the brotherhood, you are not living as a servant of God. John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are disciples if you have love one for another. Here's a third one. Fear God. Fear God. We are to fear. We are to revere God. There is this reverential obedience to God. And lastly, number four, honor the emperor, meaning those who are leading in civic government. Now, why are we to live as servants of God? It goes back to verse 15. For this is the will of God. And that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, how is this practically applied? We are to be good citizens. How is this done? 
Well, we have to be prayerful about our actions and be led by God to action, to do good. Like I said earlier, there's so much to do here. There's so much to do here, but the thing is we need to be knowledgeable about the things going on around us so that we pray to God about how we can do good in the situations that we are in. And God guides us and we rely completely on God. We don't take things into our own hands without him. Now we're going to go to the second pattern here. Second pattern, the key verse is in verse 19, where you'll notice it begins the same way. The key verse in the first pattern started in verse 15 with this. For this is... Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So Peter started with the human institution, and then he moves now to masters, or the modern term that we have is boss, right? Managers, people that are over you, supervisors, right? People that are over you. It's talking about the workplace, Right, which are all ordered by God to be in their places of authority. Now when we get to 1 Peter chapter 3 in a couple of weeks, we'll see how this pattern continues into family. But let's get back to here in verses 18 and 19, which is in reference to the relationship within employment when someone is under the authority of a master or boss or manager, which isn't always pleasant. Some of you work for not-so-good bosses before? Anybody? The carnage is light here. The carnage is light. Okay. Some of you can really relate to this because the person you report to at your job is not the greatest person to work for. And here Peter is giving instruction to the Christian who is being treated poorly by their boss. To be subject to your master, your boss, with all respect, not only to those good and those gentle ones, but also to the unjust, wicked, unfair ones. See, we treat all authority figures in our employment with respect, whether they are good or bad. Why? Verse 19, because it is the gracious thing to do. We are to be respectful. And verse 18 says, with all respect, not partial respect, not conditional respect. I'll respect him if he respects me. That's not what it says. All respect. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So, bringing it into modern terms, when you get written up because of your poor performance or you're not doing what your boss told you to do and you're not doing it the way that he told you to do it or you get fired because you were stealing from the business or you just were sleeping on the job, then what's the big deal? What's the big deal of that? That's justice. You deserve that, right? The consequences were justified based on your actions. But say you had to deal with those negative things unjustly. You were fired for not a good reason. You were yelled at for not a good reason. You were treated poorly. You've been mistreated. You've been treated unfairly. And then you go through that, and then you showed respect anyway. You showed respect anyway. Well, that's grace. That's grace. That is pleasing to God to be gracious. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 35. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? 
For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. I see a lot of grumpy faces right now. Turn your frown upside down, you know. When practicing grace, we're imitating our Heavenly Father. We're imitating Jesus. Now, some of you know Pastor Chamron, Chamron Paul. He's a Cambodian pastor up at First Covenant Church, Oakland. A dear friend, and he's shared here several times. And I just bumped into him last week, and I asked for his permission to share his story. And he gave me his blessing to share his story. As many of you know, Pastor Chamron was imprisoned by the Khmer Rouge under the reign of Pol Pot in Cambodia during this time of the killing fields. And many of his family, many of his friends were killed, murdered during that regime. And so Pastor Chamron, when he came to the States, he started out in Boston. And then soon thereafter, he started going back to Cambodia every year. And sometimes twice a year, sometimes multiple times a year to minister to the Cambodian people there. And while he was there, he began this search for the officer in charge who imprisoned him and tortured him. And it took him many years before he found this guy. And the reason why he wanted to find this guy is he wanted to forgive him. He wanted to forgive him and he wanted to share the gospel with him. And so every year he's going back and he's looking for this guy. He's looking for this guy. Decades go by and then finally in 2006... He found him. And so Pastor Chemron invited this officer over to his hotel. And while at the hotel, he's giving him gifts and money and food. And he's giving him all this stuff. And they become friends. And so the following year, he goes back and he invites this former captor to stay overnight with him in his hotel room. If I was that former captor, I'd be like sleeping with an eye open. Like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? But he invites him there and he shares the gospel again. He's sharing with him his love for him. He's sharing with him the forgiveness that he had for him because Jesus forgave us. And the former captor told Pastor Chemron that he couldn't accept Jesus because he was a leader at his Buddhist temple. And so Pastor Chemron replied, even though you can't accept Jesus, you and I are still friends. Jesus loves you and I still love you. See, Pastor Chemron embodies what Peter wrote about in being subject to every human institution, even though it was the Khmer Rouge. And being subject to your masters with all respect, even though it was at a forced labor camp. Pastor Chemron's conduct was honorable, and he did good. And it was because he had a great example to follow in Jesus, who modeled this conducting of oneself honorably, in honorable submission in verses 21 through 25, which I'm just going to close this message with, and we'll dive deeper into these verses next week, but I want to leave you with our example, our model, Jesus. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself 
bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we find ourselves in really difficult situations in times of where we are just in such disagreement and discontentment over our leadership, whether that is a civic government or at a place of employment or whatever it may be, that we're just not at peace there. And I pray, God, that we would be more like you in learning how to be subject to the things you've called us to. That we can be like Peter and Paul, that even in the midst of this horrendous Roman government regime, they knew how to navigate that. May you give us the wisdom of those Hebrew midwives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of Daniel, of Peter. May we have that discernment as to when things directly violate the word of God and when it's just in opposition to our own Christian value or something like that, or where we have a choice, where in our democracy we still have choices on how we want to vote for things, and they're not ultimatums. But God, help us to discern all these types of decisions that come our way and how we are to live. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be subject one to another, how we are to be in submission one to another. Help us to do things honorable, conduct ourselves in honorable ways. Help us to do good deeds, do good. In Jesus' name, amen.